This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're on Saturday Magazine with me, Nevena and Macca. We just had the fabulous Fiona Patton live in the studio with us. And next, Macca, who do we have on? We have uh, Professor Richard Hare from University of Tasmania. And my apologies, Richard, have I pronounced your surname correctly? Well, the English couldn't uh, get around the German hair, so they, it's been her for as long as oh, I okay. can remember. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> well, we'll we'll let we'll let that one go. Um, I'm fascinated about Australia's role in the Pacific and what's going on in the Pacific and what China is doing in the Pacific. And if I can characterise this correctly, that. You know, you're saying that uh, Prime Minister Sogavare in the Solomons has a, some sort of a marriage of convenience with China, but you're almost calling it state capture. Have I put that right, or, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong? Well, that, no, it's, it's, it's close to right. The, the point for writing the report that I did um, for the CIS was really to nuance the debate about China's influence in the Solomons, because... It's sometimes portrayed in the media uh, in Australia as being a kind of um, uh, Machiavellian Chinese have uh, done all of this against uh, the will of the Solomon Islanders, uh, you know, and trapped them into uh, this dangerous relationship. When the fact is that there were a lot of domestic reasons, the dem- domestic uh, policy reasons for uh, the opportunity being there for China. And the key one is the Prime Minister, uh, Manasa Sogavare, who has um, such an interesting and uh, entrepreneurial career, uh, you know, that he was open to uh, the kind of relationship the rest of the region has, has avoided so far. So, if I might say, Richard, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of this investment and activity in China has been in infrastructure, but there's an increasing flavour, I'm not saying necessarily uh, a large presence, in the security area. Um, and that other other parts of the Pacific are obviously not on the, the same page with this. So the infrastructure is important, but what is the political dynamic in the Solomons? Do people feel about, how do they feel about China's involvement? Because... You know, they live a very different life to us here in Australia, very different set of circumstances, very different set of challenges. What's the domestic situation on the ground? How, how do the Solomon's people feel about this? Well, it's, it's certainly divided across the archipelago. We're talking about a country of over a thousand islands yeah. with more than 60 language groups, etc. So it's difficult. Uh, basically, I, I would characterize some of the politics of Solomon Islands as being like the Parisian mobs no. of the 19, uh, the 18th and 19th century. Uh, by the, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the politics are concentrated on the one island, Guadalcanal, and on the uh, capital city, Honiara. And it is uh, the uh, active people in, in, in Honiara who changed governments and so forth. 
when the rest of the country has, uh, you know, gone on almost in its own way. So when you're looking at it, if you concentrate on uh, Honiara, you'll see a great deal of uh, social turmoil and so forth that you don't find in the rest of the country. Now, uh, if you're looking at through this perspective, sorry, through the perspective of looking at Honiara, um, uh, the Chinese haven't fared well. Chinatown's been burned mm. down twice. Uh, the uh, and the there is a kind of distinction. Uh, the it is fair to say that the uh, Chinese people have been in Solomon Islands for well more than a hundred years. I yes. think it was before independence, and they were uh, quite happily uh, integrated and part of the community. It's really been the new entrepreneurs that have been coming out of China uh, that have caused uh, some of that social uh, concern and indeed. Uh, some of the corruption. We look at uh, uh, what's happened in uh, Solomon's. Now, China didn't invent uh, the uh, constituency development funds that actually provide for a lot of the political corruption in the country, uh, but it certainly used it effectively, or at least, and this is where the marriage of convenience comes in. This is where the relationship between Sogavare, who's from a small language group, he's uh, hasn't got a major party. He's never actually survived, even though this is his fourth time as prime minister. He's never survived a full term as prime minister. Mm. Uh, and he has needed something. He doesn't have the party, the language group, or whatever that you would normally expect to give him the support to be, um, well, uh, to do things his own way. The Chinese have given him uh, the resources for doing that, and uh, and the payback in part for that uh, was giving the uh, Chinese this uh, security agreement yeah. in uh, March 2022. And uh, what they want to do with it, I, I'm, to me, it's the poison chalice for uh, China, simply because uh, given the past history of um uh, social attitudes that have developed about Chinese involvement in uh, the Solomon, if they actually sent in troops to quell a riot uh, to protect Sogavari, for example, uh, that wouldn't go well for them, and it certainly wouldn't go well for Sogavari. So it's a, it's a difficult to see how that agreement has helped them. Mm. And it's, it's hurt them uh, seriously around the region. I mean, if you can imagine, you watch... Uh, Foreign Minister Wang Yi in Europe trying to deal with the Ukraine uh, oh. war and all of the rest of it. He, he goes to the Pacific uh, with that kind of uh, stature, and he gets snubbed. Yes. The region turns its back on him. Now, how do you, you know, how does uh, how does uh, his embassies in the in the region actually allow that to happen? But they miscalculated on what that agreement with Solomon's meant that it wasn't a guide shift in in the region. It was uh, an aberration uh, and depended very much on the uh, affairs of the Solomon Islands, internal affairs of the Solomon Islands. I look at, you know, the the, the history of, of, you know, Australia and the US and others' relationship in the Pacific, and I particularly go back to the Second World War, and, you know, the Solomon Islands was absolutely a front line and, you know, appalling... Mm appalling battles and death and suffering 
I ask the question, Richard, in the intervening period, has Australia and the US basically dropped the ball on the Pacific? I know, you know, I'll be charitable and say they're picking it up again now, but have they had they dropped the ball that allowed, you know, this quite strange security agreement that China has I, I think to get in yeah. there? Thanks, Mark. I, I, I think it's one of those things that we don't put into uh, proper context. One has to remember, this was a British colony. It yes. wasn't an Australian colony. No. We come in uh, all fairly late in the peak, mid-70s, as Britain starts to uh, extract itself from there, and it did so so hastily that it left the country very poorly prepared for independence, and it took uh, far less care uh, for the country than we would have expected, given the former being a former colonial power. Uh, so, yes, there was uh, a ball to be picked up, if you like, and Australia was, by and large, happy to do it. Uh, the the problem was that uh, at the time of Solomon Islands' independence, we got the appearance of the Cold War in the Pacific. that started in uh, basically about 70, um, well, dated almost to February, I think it was, uh, 1976, when the Soviet ambassador in uh, New Zealand established a relationship with Tonga. And all of a sudden, they yeah. had the, the Soviets coming, the Soviets. So when the Solomons got their independence, the Cold War uh, attitude about threat was already in place. And the, the feeling was that we needed to build up uh, the Solomons, uh, its people and its um, uh, infrastructure, uh, sorry, social infrastructure, to cope with independence. Now, uh, again, this is my context. When I first went to the Solomon Islands just over 50 years ago, uh, the population was less than uh, the country I work in now, mostly uh, uh, Samoa. Now, uh, Samoa is about the same population it was when I started. Uh, the Solomon Islands are now more than three times the size wow. of what they were 50 years ago. Now, you know, you, a population growing that fast, and it's continuing. I mean, the over, or not over, just about 60% of the population of Solomon Islands are under the age of 25. These are people that, uh, young people, uh, most of them aren't economically productive. They need education. They need health. Uh, they need, um, you know, all sorts of, uh, supports, uh, that, uh, there's a very small base to give them that support. So it's a country that, uh, as we saw, it was growing rapidly and needed help, and that's the direction we took. Um, the um, uh, We can see the effect of it. I mean, you mentioned uh, the U.S. Uh, they closed uh, their embassy in the Solomons shortly after the end of the Cold War. So they basically yeah. said, yes, yeah, we're only here because of the Cold War, and uh, now that that's over, we'll go. And uh, so there were... Um, uh, elements where uh, we took our eye off the region because it didn't have, we thought, the same security consequences uh, for us. But, of course, uh, China has re, uh, reinvented uh, to some uh, that, that issue. Yeah. Unfortunately, Richard, we're out of time, and I actually want to get you back on uh, another time for a bigger chat about this, and particularly about the Pacific. It's a fascinating issue and one that, a lot of Australians perhaps don't give much thought to, and perhaps we need to. So 
Look, I'm sorry. Well, that, that, yeah, that's all right. I was just going to say, again, what you said, one of the big changes is we had in Australia people who fought in the Pacific during the Second World War and who felt a connection to it. Yeah. That generation is now gone, and we don't have the same intimacy, the same uh, close connection. Exactly. Uh, that as a people we used to feel for the region. Yeah. Richard, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be in touch because I do want to explore this a little bit more. I think there's a there's a whole lot here we need to unpack. Thank you for your time. And, uh, Rich, My pleasure. Richard is from the University of Technology. Uh, University, no, Tasmania. University of Tasmania. Sorry. <laughs> and, that's uh, right. We're a small South Pacific island. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Australian and, map. and uh, you know, wrote this amongst for other uh, organisations for the Centre for Independent Studies. So... Thank you so much, Richard, and have a great day. My pleasure. Cheers. You. you are on SatMag on Joy 94.9. Coming up on Word for Word is Jason Om. I want to thank lots of people for today. Gabe, Gabrielle DeVitri, uh, Greens member for Richmond and spokesperson for lots of things. Mm. Rachel Payne, Legalise Cannabis uh, Victoria. Uh, Senator Dean Smith from WA. He was part of our Mutual Admiration Society. And uh, Fiona Patton, ex-MP uh, for the reason. I'm being sarcastic there about that society. And uh, Richard Hare from uh, University of Tasmania on state capture. Thanks, Nevena. I'm away the next two Saturdays. We'll hold down the fort somehow without you, Macca. Oh, look, I'll be listening probably from Singapore. And, <laughs> I know and, you will and be. And sending SMSs. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, do appreciate your feedback. Um, thanks again, and have a great day. See you next Saturday. This is Saturday Magazine. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.